Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Brendan Burns of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting on the line with us. Brendan, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing today, Jay? Oh, good. I'm anxious to talk to you today about uh, we've got a Montana uh, moose, goat, and sheep deadline coming up here May 1st, so I want to pick your brain about that. Uh, before we get into that, Brendan, for those that haven't listened to you on my podcast before, I uh, want to give you a chance to tell people what you do at Kuyu, what your title is, uh, and how that's going. Um, yeah, I run, I run the uh, Guide Out There program at Kuyu. My title is Director of Industry Relations, I guess, or Business Development. Um, and yeah, I, I do uh, a lot of, I, you know, we're in the company we have a lot of different hats we wear you know do a bit of development um oversee obviously the guide and outfitter program do a lot of the um specialty um gear type stuff when somebody calls in that has a pretty technical question or or something they need specifically for hunts uh, i do a lot of the gear advising um so yeah lots of different hats we wear but uh i've been uh, was employee number one at kuyu in 2010 so yeah pretty Going, uh, going good. Good, good. That's awesome. Uh, it, it's always interesting to me as you and Jason uh, and the team come up with uh, new products and gear. A lot of that gear runs directly through your hands and directly, you know, on or off your body, so to speak, uh, in in the you know trial periods and testing. Um, over the years, you know, doing that testing and how important is it to you? to get your hands on all of the gear and be able to run it through the test uh, and be able to weed out, you know, the good stuff from the bad because as innovative as you guys are at Kuyu, there's obviously products and ideas that you probably come up with that you have to, you know, tweak and get just right. Uh, how important, you know, do you feel it is for that gear to come through and truly be tested before it gets sent out to the general public? Uh, it's incredibly important. It's it's one of the backbones of the company. I mean, basically anything we build has been you know fully tested on. And we like to you know test the stuff on on hunts that are um, that are as hard and as grueling and as um, you know put it through the elements that are that are some of the worst conditions that our customers could ever see. So yeah, we have some uh, a lot of. You know, a lot of stuff is really good. Um, you you get development stuff that just doesn't quite work out how you thought it was, but it's all it's all fully tested and on on the type of hunts that uh, that that are the, the most extreme hunts that our customers could ever take it on. And so that's what that's what we enjoy doing. I, I love that that part of it, and uh, it it kind of uh, it's a funny thing too. It kind of keeps your ego in check as far as like if you have a good idea and it doesn't quite work out, you have to look at everything pretty objectively and go, yeah, it either works or it doesn't or um, it's either a good product or it's not, or it's not the right combination, or um, you got to tweak this a little bit. It's 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 a fun process to get something to where you're like, yeah, I like I like it. That's 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 better than anything else out there. You know, I've talked to Jason about this before. Um, you know, about different products. It, you know, what sets Kuyu apart as far as you know? Kuyu seems to be very niche in the fact that you guys are. Definitely, your niche market is, you know, the ultralight hunting and, you know, the backpack, hardcore, you know, some of the extreme hunts. How important is it that you guys stay focused on that niche 
and not get too spread out or too broad trying to encompass all of the aspects of hunting all around the world, you know, wh whether it be different style hunts, you know, say eastern turkey hunts, you know, southeast turkey hunts, uh, you know, whitetail hunting, waterfowl hunting, your niche is backcountry, you know, ultralight, um, you know, extreme type gear. How important is it to stay focused on that niche? Um, it's important because, well, that's that's the reason we do it is because that's those are the type of hunts we like to do, and uh, you know, I, I feel like the type of gear we build will have obviously some some huge crossover appeal and everything else. But if you're using it in the toughest environments, the wettest, the coldest, uh, um, you know, the toughest backpack hunts, and and you know, it's it's going to have that crossover appeal to where it can be used universally, you know, for for any other hunt that somebody wants to do, but uh, um, we, you know, basically specialize in the stuff that is, um, you get you get the most for your, your most bang for your buck. I mean, obviously we're a consumer direct brand, and we feel like we can build with the best fabrics on the planet, and that's what that's what really sets us apart is uh, is design, fabric, and our business model. With that business model, Brendan, um, you know, we've discussed it before, but there's certainly people that are probably new to the podcast. When you are selling direct to consumer, how does that actually allow the customer to get a better quality product at a cheaper price? Explain the dynamics of that. Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, the the, the retail model, which is uh, you know basically the, the clothing or whatever in the stores, um, you know, there's a, there's a markup that those that those stores keep those lights on. Um, by, by skipping that, we basically can build a superior product with a more expensive product, and we sell it direct, so we don't have that uh, the middleman markup. I mean, we build it ourselves, and we sell it ourselves, so that, that's, that's, the, that's the quick and easy of it. Um, what it allows you to do is, uh, you know, is to build with the best fabrics out there. I mean, we, look, we rarely look at anything as far as, um, you know, products and go out. I don't think we can build that too expensive. I mean, we just we, we go about it in a different way than most. It's trying to build the um, the best product with the best fabric, with the best design. Um, however, we have to get to it, and then uh, and then we figure out how to sell it after that. And isn't that? Wouldn't you agree that that's kind of the opposite of most business models? Most business models start with a a model that says, you know, we want to sell the most product that we can. Now let's figure out how to build it. You guys, always from the beginning at Kuyu, I've always heard the opposite where, like, you and Jason want to use it on a particular sheep hunt. You're building it for yourselves, knowing that other guys that are going to be in those same elements and, you know, needing that same uh, product, that's why you make that product, and, and then you figure out how to sell it. That just seems so backwards compared to a lot of other models out there, but I think that's why Kuyu is so successful. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff is price point driven. We just uh, we don't really build that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we just want to build the best stuff that our that our customers are going to use. Um, it needs to be um, yeah, it needs to be functional. It needs to be well thought out. It needs to use the best fabrics that we can that we can use, and we feel like we are using. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, the the goal is to build the best stuff. Um, we feel like 
if people are, you know, one of the things we really do is educate the customer as far as fabrics, designs, why we use anything we use, and we feel like, you know, if you if you become educated on on a certain product and you go out and look at the marketplace, you'll eventually end up back at Kuyu because, uh, you know, we, we feel like if we we educate you on what you're looking at, you will um, you will truly know what to what what, what is the best. I get a lot of questions, um, guys asking me about Kuyu stuff. I had one come in and it says, um, hey, Jay, I'm looking to upgrade my backpacking tent. I'm on the fence choosing between the Kuyu uh, Mountain Star 2 person and the Ultra Star 1 person, usually sleeping by myself. Would the 2 person be worth the extra money weight for the added room comfort over the 1 person? And how is the quality difference between the two tents? What would your answer to that be, Brendan? I, I wouldn't have enough info to give them an exact um, an exact recommendation of, of what, what I would take. Um, the, the difference between the two tents, the uh, the Mountain Star is a is a two person. Um, it's a it's a three season tent. We can call it three and a half season tent, um, and it's got a, a an inner tent and an outer tent. Um, it's uh, it's basically a, a tent you could take just about anywhere until later in the season. I mean, I, I take it up in Northwest Territory, the Yukon, British Columbia. Um, it's just a really good all-around three-season tent. Um, it's got quite a bit of room. I personally like to have extra room when I'm camping. Um, the the Ultra Star is a single wall, so it's a single wall. Um, it's pitched with your trekking pole or, or stick if you want to cut it or whatever. It's a fan. I'm I'm not. Um, so I use the Ultra Star in summertime for scouting trips, like really quick scouting trips, one or two day stuff. It's extremely light. Um, it's awesome for the early season if you're going to get a little rain, or um, but you know if you were going to spend eight or ten days in that thing and you could get horrific weather, or, um, I, I'm just not as big of a fan of a single wall. So just it would depend on what you're doing for for scouting for quick quick missions into the mountains, you're looking around for stuff or early season high country and you're looking to go as light as possible, Ultra Star may be a, may be a great option for you. Um, if you're going on a sheep hunt um, or something where you know, you could spend six, seven days in your tent, I would go with the Mountain Star. So um, it would just depend on what, what that person was doing. I need to know a little more of what uh, where exactly they were they were looking to do. Sure. Um, I... I took the um, Mountain Star two-person tent down on the Arizona auction Gould hunt that we just did last weekend. And one of the things, and I've used the tent quite a bit, and one of the things, Brendan, that, that I was looking at when I was setting the tent up is, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm thinking right or if I'm completely wrong, is can that tent be set up without the, uh, you know, bathtub lining, in other words, just the rainfly portion of the tent, can that be used uh, set up with the pole structure? Or yep, you can. Yep. Yeah, you can. Okay, I, 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 I saw those little buckles where you can unhook it. So in other words, you could take it and go super lightweight and still have the coverage, if you will. Obviously, you wouldn't have the, um, you know, I'm just calling it the bathtub feature of the tent, you know, the, the under inner, part inner of the tent. tent. Yeah, your inner the tent. inner tent. So, I mean, have you ever gone on trips where you're just taking it mainly if you know it's going to rain and you kind of just want to get out of that and stay or scouting for bighorns overnight or something? Or would you always take your, you know, the full, both parts of the tent? 
I mean, that's that's why it's built that way. You can do that. I I tend, you know, in in Montana here, or where I'm where I'm mostly scouting. Really, I I mean, bugs are kind of a factor, so I I generally would not um, run it that way. But it would depend on depend on the situation. If you weren't worried about bugs, or uh, um, that 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 use would probably be a little more better like the ultra star that's that's kind of why the ultra star is designed you know you obviously you could do it with the mountain star um but you know um you, you probably if you were looking to do that you'd probably take the the ultra star yeah um in looking at the other tent uh systems that you guys have uh i also noticed that this you have the storm star two-person tent while we're talking about tents uh, describe to the listeners what the main difference is between the Mountain Star two-person tent and the Storm Star two-person tent. So the uh, the Storm Star is a true four-season, um, any kind of weather. I mean, it, it's it's a true four-season tent. Um, it's a uh, fully reinforced. It's it sucks tight to the ground. There's no cap underneath it. Um, it. It's basically like the worst weather you could ever encounter. That's a, that's a four season tent. The the, the Mountain Star is and, it, and it's twice as heavy. It's basically a six pound two man four season tent. You could take anywhere in any kind of weather: snow, hail, incredibly high wind, anything like that. The Mountain Star is a three is a three person tent. I mean, there's there's a limit um, on the amount of wind you're going to get. You mean a three? You mean a three season? Three, three seasons. I'm sorry, three seasons. Yeah, sorry, me. yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's a, that's a um, you know, and and the, the, our design is slightly different than a lot of three season tents. Those those two person tents, um, we've designed them to where they're wider at the head than at the foot. So you have about um, eight inches more um, width in the tent. Um, so a little more comfortable for two guys to sleep. And they're double vestibule, so you have your own space to get in and out. Um, you know, there there's we 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 built them to be well similar in weight to a front loader. Um, the problem with a front loading two man tent is you're climbing over your stuff, you're on top of each other. It's it's not as comfortable. I mean, they're both double vestibule. Um, you have your own way to get in and out. They're a little bit wider. Um, just a just a superior design. Okay, and then with that being said, though, I mean you've you've used the Mountain Star two person tent, had snow and everything else. It holds up very very well in in very rough conditions. And would you say it it's it's going to be on more trips with you than the Storm Star, um, excluding you know some major cold weather stuff. You'd probably take the Storm Star. Yeah, so I've kind of taken the Storm Star. Um, basically, I take the Storm Star to Alaska. Um, I've had some, you know, I had an 80 mile an hour windstorm in the in the Kent goat hunting in 2011. I mean, it's some it's just some absolutely gnarly. Um, really tough conditions in Alaska, so I, I take the Storm Star in Alaska because you just never know what you're going to get, especially on a, on a big unsupported backpack hunt where you're in there. Um, the last few hunts I've been on in the Yukon NWT, especially you know we were talking July 15th to the latter part of August, uh, the Mountain Star's been great. I mean, you're you're dealing with we we've got some 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 really high winds and bad conditions or whatever, but that's basically what that that tent's uh, designed for the, the, the Mountain Star. And, you know, at three pounds, um, I take my own tent on all my hunts. Um, I like to, you know, on, on the, the Storm Star in Alaska, um, I've shared that tent with the guide um, just because we're trying to, you know, keep weight down. Uh, but on the um, on most of my other hunts, I'll take a Mountain Star 
um, by myself. It's nice to have your gear inside. And, you know, some of those hunts you get rained in for two, three, four days. Um, two guys in one tent gets to be, it, it gets to be a lot. Um, and it's just, you know, just, just kind of a convenience thing, especially at, you know, a little over three and a half pounds. It's, um, it's not that big of a deal. And then you guys have the Summit Refuge three-person tent. Now, this is a kind of a completely different tent than the others. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's a that's a shelter. Um, it does have an inner tent you can you can bring along with it, but it's uh, it's more of a single wall shelter. Uh, how a lot of guys use it. Um, it's it's set up with two trekking poles. I uh, I took that on um, on the stone sheep hunt last fall in British Columbia. Um, I prefer uh, a freestanding tent. If I'm being completely honest, I I don't uh, I don't like a, uh, a shelter, especially set up with trekking poles. Um, it's just nice when you get back in the dark and it's pounding rain, um, and you're and you just decide, hey, I'm going to camp right here, and you're on rock or anything else. You can just you know throw up a, a your your tent. It's a freestanding tent, and uh, and be with that. Now, if you know the 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 summer refuge has a lot of interior room. Um, some guys like to take that. You're you're saving a bit of weight if you're already bringing trekking poles. Um, there's there's it's a, it's a good option for some guys. It just depends on, on, on your style and what you like to do. Good stuff. Um, Brendan, I want to talk to you today specifically. Um, we've covered a little bit of gear stuff, but I want to talk to you about the Montana um, goat, uh, moose, and sheep uh, deadline. We've got May uh, 1st coming up, and I wanted to go through um, the process of uh, drawing a tag in Montana for moose, uh, sheep, and goat. And if you would, talk a little bit about the draw system in Montana and how it works. Yeah, so uh, in Montana we have uh, we have a limited draw for, aside from sheep, which I'll explain in a minute, but we have we have a limited draw for all our, our what they call it the big three. So you have moose, sheep, and goat. Um, we have a, and it's basically a lottery system. And for all intents and purposes, there's, there's really no secrets. I mean, they're, they're very hard to get. Um, all the pegs are highly sought after. Um, we have a, it, it's a limited draw for non-residents. Um, they set a non-resident cap of up to 10% um, of the tags can go to non-residents. Um, all the, uh, um, and, and our, our system is a, is a bonus point system, meaning it's not preference. The longer you put in, you don't, automatically end up getting a tag where it's a bonus point system, and it's a squared bonus point system. So every year you apply, you accumulate a bonus point, and then when you go into the draw, they square your number of bonus points. They started them in 2001. I believe it's 18. This year is the max point, 17 or 18. Um, and so you would you'd be squared in the system as far as your, as your bonus points go. Um, if... Basically, to apply, um, it's a paper. You can, you can do a paper license, or you can do, um, or you can apply online. And I believe the non-resident total, um, you have to buy a, uh, <clears throat> it's fifty dollars per species, twenty dollars per point, and then um, you have to buy a, a conservation license, a base hunting license, about two hundred thirty-five bucks to put in every year if you want to apply for for moose, sheep, and goat. Um, you. Can, Find that on the Montana Fish Wildlife Park's website on all the kind of exactly how to apply and um, create your account, and all that stuff. But it's a 
Um, it's basically a lottery system, and uh, you know Montana is known for we have the, the the best sheep hunting in the world um, for bighorn sheep. Um, that's not really debatable as far as huntable populations go. Montana's you know head and tails above everybody else. Um, we have decent moose hunting. It's not as good as it used to be, and we have pretty good mountain goat hunting. And um, you know this year <clears throat> the the state of Montana sets aside which units you can apply for as far as applying for moose, sheep, or goat. Um, like this year, for example, we have there's 11 different ram units, ram tags you can apply for um, as far as uh, as far as non-residents go, and they pick those uh, kind of randomly. It varies year to year. In general, Brendan, the quality of rams, the really good rams, are they limited to a couple of units, or are there you know, fairly widespread quality throughout the state? Montana's got pretty good quality throughout the state. Um, there are some units that are obviously better than others. I mean, obviously we have a couple of units that are that are the absolute best in the world, but, um, you know, Montana's produced the most amount of 200-inch bighorns. I mean, it's, it's not even close. And as far as numbers over 190, you know, I mean, we have more than anybody else by multiples. Um, there's... Very few units in Montana that, in fact, I can't even hardly think of any, aside from some of the unlimited units, um, there's almost no unit in Montana, maybe one or two, that wouldn't produce a Boone and Crockett sheep. So it's all relative to what you think is, is a giant sheep. I mean, um, a lot of units, depending on whether their cycle, whether they're up or down, have produced 190-type bighorns. Um, I can think of at least, you know, six or seven units in Montana that have produced 200-inch rams. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible sheep hunting. Um, we've had quite a few die-offs recently. A lot of the stuff in western Montana is not doing as well as it was, you know, obviously in the, uh, you know, in the heyday of western Montana was in the late 80s, early 90s to mid-90s, um, and that's tapered off. And now some of the, the Missouri Breaks units have come on. Um, that are producing the big sheep, but um, Montana is—it's a pretty rare unit. You can't kill a Boone and Crockett sheep, and if or, or has not produced a Boone and Crockett sheep out of. They also have um, different season structures. Um, I believe they give some archery archery tags uh, nope. as well as some firearms, or is it all just nope. a regular nope. season? No, when you draw a ram license, well, we have we have two different types of sheep tags in Montana. Sheep permits, excuse me. There, um, you have an unlimited permit, which there's there's uh, five units that are unlimited. You can just buy those tags over the counter. It's probably the toughest hunt in all of North America, um, and we can dive into that a little bit of that if you want. But the the rest of our ram permits are um, you have um, are basically rifle permits. Um, we have an, uh, an archery season that starts um, September 1st and goes to the 15th. You basically have two weeks early to hunt with a bow. And then almost, I think there's only two or three tags that end um, at the end of October. But most, most of them run through, like for the example this year, they run basically from September 15th to November 25th. Um, so you've got, you know, a long time to hunt. Okay, so just so I've heard you right, just so I heard you right, if you draw a Montana bighorn tag, you can also come in the archery-only portion of that season and hunt for two weeks, basically the first two weeks of September. Is that valid for all of the bighorn tags across the state? 
except for the unlimited tags, correct? Yep. Okay. Okay. And then the unlimited, just just so, let's talk about that for a little bit. That is where anybody can literally come. I mean, non-residents, residents, anybody can come and buy a tag and go sheep hunting. But the success rate is extremely low. How much of that is based on actual numbers, that, you know, huntable populations, and how much of that is like inaccessible, like extremely hard to get to, you know, obviously the success rate is low, and, but, it, but every year someone seems to shoot, you know, a ram or two. Um, why is it so tough in the unlimited? So the unlimited units are different than, than, the, uh, than the limited draw units. Let's call limited draw and then unlimited. The limited is you can buy any tag and they're set up on a quota system as far as once they kill most of them are two or three rams, one ram, some of them. Um, basically, um, they manage the population for, for, for harvest. So once two sheep are taken, um, the units shut down. So um, those, those are the same. Those don't have an archery season. Those start September 15th. Um, there's one that starts, it's, I believe it's the first through the sixth. It's 300 um, that runs right next to Yellowstone National Park. But the other units, the other limited units, they start September 15th. It's a quota system. Some years it'll shut down in two or three days. Some years it won't shut down. Nobody will kill a sheep. Um, they are kind of a combo of what, what you asked. I mean, there, there's very few sheep and some really, really rugged country. I mean, it's one of the toughest hunts um, in in all of North America, and certainly one of the lowest success rate hunts in in all of North America. It's tough, and and basically, it's it's a really cool thing that it's set up to where you know you've got a sheep tag in your pocket, you've got some big, massive country, and you can just go in there and go sheep hunting. Um, and there are guys um, that kill sheep every year. There there's some really good rams that have been taken, um, but it's it's basically the only over the counter sheep hunting opportunity in the U.S. Um, now there there's some in 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 Canada and British Columbia and, and Alberta there are um, bighorn opportunities for those residents, but it's it's the only um, over the counter bighorn opportunity in in the United States. Um, residents and non residents can hunt it. Uh, you know it's really rugged, it's really tough. Um, the success rate is incredibly low. <clears throat> there are three units that are uh, it, I mean, just absolutely as rugged as you can imagine. Um, and there's two units that are right along Yellowstone Park that are basically more kind of migration corridor, not migration based on um, weather, but migration based on just sheep movement that, that kind of sit along Yellowstone National Park. And it's kind of more of a waiting game. And then there's three of them that are, that are just, man, go get them, this big, nasty country that, that takes some real grit to get into. And let's say that you went on an unlimited hunt, and let's say that you were successful. Is there a waiting period, or is that the only ram, or could you, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to the question, so I'm, is there a waiting period, or can you actually go back and shoot another ram, or is it just once you've killed your Montana bighorn in the unlimited, you're done? So in Montana, um, you, we have a seven-year wait if you harvest a, a bighorn sheep, whether it's limited or unlimited. Um, like for example, I, I killed that big round in 2015. I'm I, I'm sitting out my this will be my third year out. Um, I, you have a seven year layoff, and then you can get back in the draw or go hunt unlimited. But uh, you basically get one round every seven years, and then obviously the the, the draw or uh, would you know I mean to to jump back in and draw another one would be pretty incredible. It does happen, but uh, and then the unlimited area. Yeah, I mean 
I believe, you know, Jack Aston, I think he killed his fourth bighorn in the unlimited area um, two or three years ago. So there, there's Tim Schenenberger, who you know. He's taken uh, several. His wife's taken several. So that you, you, can, you can take more than one sheep. But once you do harvest a sheep, you're out for seven years. Is there kind of a, you know, I hate to use the word, but is there kind of a cult following for some of the unlimited bighorn hunters as far as, I've got to assume that there's residents for sure that, you know, it's just something they do every year and it's kind of a quest for them. Is is there quite a following like that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things that it's it's a real feather in your cap if you take an unlimited ram, especially a, 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 a big old unlimited ram. Now, there's, there's young rams that get killed and that's kind of highly frowned upon. Um, they're, they're legal. I mean, the, the unlimited area is three-quarter three quarter curl ram um, is a legal sheep, but you know, a three-quarter curl ram is not a is not a great ram, um, especially if it's young. Um, but yeah, there's there's uh, there's guys that do it every single year. I mean, it's it's one of those cool things where you've got a sheep tag in your pocket. Um, you know, obviously the, with the application process throughout the entire West, you could go your entire lifetime without ever drawing a sheep permit. So, um, you know, it's a way that a guy can just buy buy a sheep sheep permit over the counter and uh, and go hunt some rugged country and and if you put your time in um, to be successful in taking a bighorn um, it's it's basically in your control um, you know the more time you put in and the harder you hunt the more the more you're successful I mean there's there's it, it, it's definitely not a luck thing I mean the the guys that are that have taken multiple rounds um, have done it by just hunting harder and hunting smarter than than most of the other guys there's a lot of guys that We'll buy an unlimited tag, take one look at that country, go in for a couple of days, and and they never and they never go come back again. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things that the guys that hit it hard are generally, you know, over time successful. I mean, I started hunting unlimited area oh when I was thirteen or fourteen, um, and I passed up a few legal rams. Um, I've had a few get away on me, and uh, and then I got into the limited draw and fortunately drew a tag uh, a few years ago. And uh, the next time when I get back in the draw, I'll, I'll hunt limit. I don't think I'll ever apply again in Montana. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and there's not a lot of great info out there. The guys that have been really successful in the unlimited area rarely share their knowledge. I mean, I can tell you this: if you if you read something or see something online about the unlimited area, it's probably written by somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, the guys that... It's, I mean, it's got to be a tight-lipped circle, doesn't it? <laughs> it really is, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know Tim. He's not going to be putting stuff on, on where he's hunting or how he's going about it. Um, there's some there's some big, big misconceptions about the unlimited area. I mean, everybody thinks it's a foot race to get one killed or you're racing outfitters and stuff, and it's, it's simply not true. I mean, I don't think an outfitter has taken a ram in, in, in a unit and six or seven years, um, especially some of the, the 500 type units. Um, it's basically, you know, it's it's not a foot race. I mean, sometimes it does close early. Guys will, you know, be sitting on a round, but it's it's pretty rare. I mean, it's they really move around a lot, um, and they're, you know, it's just tough hunting. I mean, it's it's tough country. The Beartooth gets some of the nastiest storms in the world. I mean, it, it, you can you can have two feet of snow on September 15th when the season opens. It's it's just tough country. It's just uh, it's just a really cool thing that the state of Montana has been been able to keep going for a long time, and that allows guys that man, if you've if you've got the itch, come give it a try. I mean, it's it uh, it's it's definitely a challenge, that's for sure. 
Brendan, I want to talk to you about your uh, personal uh, bighorn hunt that you had in Montana. Uh, you have successfully completed the Grand Slam with your bow, um, but you shot not, a not giant. With a bow. I, have, uh, I have a Grand Slam. I only have two with a bow. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm working on my Grand Slam with a bow. <laughs> okay. Um, but you did shoot your bighorn with a bow in Montana. Correct. Talk a little, I believe you were like 21 days or something backpack hunting. Talk about that hunt. I know we've talked about it on prior but for those that haven't heard the podcast before, talk a little bit about finally drawing that tag and the, you know, the, the search for the particular ram and, and kind of how it went down. Yeah, I, I drew a tag in 2015. I've been applying, uh, well, uh, since basically since I went away, since college, I've been applying for a limited draw and finally was able to, to draw a tag in 2015. And you know, again, it's it's uh, we have, we have several different kinds of sheep hunts in Montana. The limited permit. There's some basically some mountain hunting backpack style kind of really remote, rugged areas, and then there's kind of some easier, um, more accessible type areas. I've always applied for um, for the for some of the tougher areas to hunt. As far as I, I just really wanted a true sheep hunting experience. So the tag I drew was in the in the Bob Marshall Wilderness and Bob Marshall Front, which is a really rugged area, one road. One, in and out, and it was just a true backpack hunt, and yeah, it was a dream come true, you know, you know, I think I had, uh, I think I had applied, you know, since they, again, a long time, I had unlimited when I was a lot younger, but uh, to finally draw a tag, which, you know, most people won't do in their lifetime, and yeah, I had an amazing hunt, spent 20, 24 days backpacking in there, um, walked close to 200 miles, um, passed up a bunch of really good rams, and was finally able to find the ram that I was looking for. Um, um, and, uh, and, and Errol, and it was uh, really cool. It was a 191-inch, um, uh, 189 and 5 net, uh, 13-year-old ram I took him. was, uh, yeah, just one, one of the best hunts of my life for sure. I, I doubt I'd ever be able to replicate it, and it was just just a really cool, really cool opportunity. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. I remember when you went, it was cool to to kind of follow along and and uh, look, check out your photos and stuff after the hunt was over. Um, let's let's break down uh, the non-resident uh, sheep units and just briefly go through each one of them. Feel free if if uh, either the quality is not good or you don't know the unit, feel free to you know just pass. And we'll go go to the ones you want. Yeah, there's not really a quality. I mean, like, we have great rams in Montana. I would never say that we don't have, you know, a, a recommend. I mean, like I said, the, the, the number one thing about these these permit limited draw tags is there really is no secret. I mean, that we're going to go over some stuff. Um, some areas are better than others. I mean, it's like, you know, the Missouri breaks, if you don't know that's where the biggest sheep in the world are, you really haven't been paying attention for the last 15 years. I mean, it's not really a secret. It just depends what I always tell guys, you know, I've had probably 100 guys this month call me about, you know, where should I apply? Where should, I mean, really you want to look at it and go, what kind of a hunt do I want? I mean, if you want to hunt the biggest rams in the world, you apply on the Missouri Breaks. If you want to hunt a real mountain unit, there's some stuff in western Montana or some of the other units that are, that are you know, you can go in and backpack and kind of get away from people. It just it really depends on what your goal is as far as, I mean, they're all nearly impossible to draw like for example this year we have 11 units that you can apply as a non-resident they're going to give up to 13 tags they'll give two and 680 i believe and two and 482 um and and so let's just say there's 13 tags available the odds are incredibly steep 
max points, no matter what you've got, there like you have to get lucky. So, um, what I always recommend is just apply where you would like to hunt. If you're going to get lucky, um, some odds are better than others, obviously, but none of them are good enough to where you can. You know, I definitely wouldn't start planning your hunt for the fall once you apply. Um, <laughs> just, you, you just look at it like, uh, you know, where if, if I get lucky, what would I like to? What what type of hunt would I like to hunt? You know, if your goal is, you know, I had um, Glenn Landers text me the other night and said, hey, I, you know, he's killed a 190-inch bighorn in in Washington. He's looking for the biggest rams in the world. You know, like, oh, you're definitely going to apply in the breaks. Some guys are like, man, I'd just love to have a sheep tag and go in and do some backpacking and, and, and hunt a really rugged area and just, you know, any ram would be fine and I just I just really want the experience. Well, for some other units that might be slightly better odds, that might be a better option for you. Sounds good. I'm just going to name off a couple units and you just talk a little, you know, briefly about each one and we'll just whip through them here. Uh, number 100. So, well, you're, so this year, on the as far as non-resident applications go, 100 is not available. I'll, I'll take you through the units that are available. Okay. I, I don't know what, what what you're looking at, but available RAM tags are 102, 121, 216, 250, 261, 301, 423, 424, 482, 622, and 680. And there's some U tags available. We do have U hunting in, in Montana. There's some some units that they're trying to control the population a little bit. There are some U-tags available, but those are all limited draw RAM permits that are available in the non-residents this year. Okay, go through each one of them briefly and just talk about um, talk about each one. So, so um, I'll just start. At, we'll start at the one at one hundred um, at one hundred two. So one hundred two is the Galton range. Galton G A L T O N range. Um, there's one license available. It can be available for a non-resident. I have not personally hunted that unit. Um, it's not known for great big sheep. They do kill some old rams in there. There's some there's some nice sheep that have been taken in there, um, but it's not like a I would say a top trophy unit or anything. That they I believe most of the sheep are in the mid 170s that they kill. Um, can be a pretty tough hunt, um, but again the success rate on our limited draw bighorn tags are all nearly 100%. I think there was only one unit last year where. Um, three of the four tags didn't get filled, and I'm sure it has something to do with the die-off or just poor sheep numbers. But um, almost across the board, I mean, there's, we're going to we're going to give 100 and I don't know how many are this year, 110 permits. Um, the success rate is nearly 100 percent on all of them. So if you get if you draw, you you should get a, a sheep if you put in. Um, so um, the next unit would be 121. That's the Thompson Falls unit. It was uh, historically a really good unit. Um, it's got um, the, the population has declined lately. There's always a good, you know, it's it's known for you know really pretty, you know, classic looking uh, big horns. The, the population has declined um, as of latest uh, in the last I don't know 15 years. It was it was one of the hot units in the late 80s, early 90s, um, up until about 2000, but they uh, they have a lot of sheep get hit by trains in that unit. It's it's pretty bizarre, but they do kill some big sheep. There's been, you know, 190-inch rams killed in there for sure, up to 197. There's some there's some really good sheep. You can glass a lot of it from the highway. It's some really steep, rugged country. It's a really good, uh, you know, if you want a really good backpack unit where you can, uh, um, you can, 
you can get away from people. That's that's certainly one of them. And it also late towards the year, towards late in the late in the year in the rut, um, the sheep will tend to come down towards the highway. There's some there's some areas where if you didn't have a lot of time, you could you could definitely hunt that. Um, let me look at the list here. Two two sixteen. They're offering. Uh, there's a license you could draw. That's uh, that's West Rock Creek. Um, and again, this is one of the units that was really good in the early '90s. Um, it's had some die-off problems. Um, it's a, it's a good hunt. Um, it's produced some big sheep. I don't I don't believe there's a lot of 180 much bigger than 180 type in sheep there available now. But um, really good hunt, and they and they come down in the rut. You can you can definitely hunt them. Um, later in the year, um, 250. Is that 250? Yeah, 250 is available. That's the West Fork of the Bitterroot. Um, it's a unit not known for very big sheep. It can be tougher hunting. Um, I have not personally hunted 250. I've been down there a couple times. I think the, they ha they have killed a 190 inch ram out of there. I believe 15, 12, 15 years ago. But it's it's just known for nice representative sheep. Um, I know a guy that shot one of the bow in there a few years back. So um, most of the units, you know, they have if you put the time in, you'll you'll be able to find a sheep. 250 is another one. But if if you're looking at hunting in Montana and want to hunt for, for great big rams, that would be a unit that I would, you know, put on the, put on the back burner. Um, okay. Let's see. 201 is Spanish Peaks. Um, it's a good unit. Um, they kill low 80s kind of rams to high 60s kind of rams. I have a friend whose father killed a really nice ram. Ram in there last year. It's definitely, it's a unit that you can, you can get back and do some backpacking in. Um, Spanish Peaks is a pretty rugged area, um, and you could also, uh, you know, late in the year, I've, I've helped a couple uh, guys take sheep in there late in the year. They come down to rut um, in some areas you can glass from the highway that are, you know, not, not a long ways in. It's a, it's a, it's a neat hunt. It's a true, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool hunt in, uh, in, some, in some really cool mountainous country. Um, okay. 423 is up in the Bob Marshall that actually borders the unit that I had. Um, that could be, it can be a really rugged, like if you wanted to do a really good backpack hunt, you want to get away from people, um, 423 can be a really good one. They do come out, um, you, you can hunt them later during the rut, but uh, I actually glassed a lot of rounds on, on my hunt um, looking into that unit. Um, it's got some good sheep. There's pretty good age class in there right now. Um, you know, the, the Bob Marshall is known for, you know, 190 is, is really big, you know, mid-170s to, you know, 184 or 5 type sheep are, are you know, are, are pretty top end. Um, and same with the next unit, which is 424. Um, um, that's Ford Crick. Um, that borders that unit. That's another Bob Marshall unit. Again, it can be pretty rugged. Um, Fort Creek took. It's had a die off a few years back. I know uh, Ron Jenkins has said it hasn't quite recovered from from what it what it can be or has been. But another hunt where eh, if you draw that hunt, you can you can go in there and get after it. There's some there's some pretty rugged country to get in on, um, and and they do come out late. Um, it's a it's an area that you can hunt late with a um, during the rut. Um, the uh, okay. the next unit is sorry I got so many of these. 482, which is the south side of the Missouri Breaks. Um, 
So the, the next three units are, are 482, 680, and 622. Um, 482 and 680 are, are across the river from each other, the North, North Missouri Breaks and the South Missouri Breaks. Um, and without a doubt, these are the best, sheep, the, the best big ram hunting units that are available in the world. Um, last year, 482 had two rams that netted over 200 killed. Um, and they give a lot of tags. So 680 gives 25 tags, 482 gives 20 tags. <coughs> um, they're, um, you're going to deal with some private property, private land in those areas. The Missouri breaks are not traditional sheep hunting that people think in their head. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's breaks, clay, country, um, wheat fields, um, River bottoms. It's, it's it's definitely different sheep habitat than most people picture. Um, has pretty easy winters. A lot of food grows. Just some giant rams. That, you know, monsters. Um, the big, the biggest sheep in the world. Like I said, two out of two out of forty two last year scored over two hundred. Um, it's about as good as it gets. It's definitely not. Um, if if you don't want to run into people and you don't want to have um, some frustration with access and watching where you're at on a map or something, that's probably now a unit you want to apply for, same with, same with 680. 680 is on the north side. Um, again, they're going to get 25 tags this year, um, up to two non-resident tags. Um, and again, you're hunting the biggest rams in the world. The largest ram killed ever by a hunter, which tied, um, was taken in 680 last year, 208 and 3, I believe it is. So there's a legitimate chance to shoot you know, the biggest rams in the world. In, in that in that type unit again you're going to deal with some private land um, access can be difficult can be good um, high sheep population um, they've been they've been hunting pretty hard as of late the, the age class is definitely um, slipping a bit but again producing the biggest sheep in the world and yeah, then it uh, sounds like they must have high densities if they've got that kind of tag numbers um, you know what are we talking in you know, t total total population. I think I think there's about 600 on the it, between five and 600 on the north side, and four and 500 on the south side. I don't have that sitting in front of me, but so a lot. they want to keep, keep them. Yeah, and, and they're shooting. Uh, they're shooting. They're shooting 60 U's. Let me see how many U takes. They're. Uh, they shoot a lot of use out of those units too. The state's really concerned about having a die off in there, so they're trying to keep the sheep population down. Um, and that's one of those things as far as those 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 kind of tags. Um, you're not going to be the only guy out there hunting. Um, that's for sure. Um, yeah, they're in 680. They're going to shoot 30 30 use um, as well as 25 rams. So you're you're going to run into some other hunters. That's for sure. Um, I've guided quite a bit in, in 680, killed some really big rams in there. Um, it's kind of unlike anywhere else in the world. I mean, there's, there's some giants in there. They grow big, fast, and uh, yeah, it's as good as it gets. Um, and there's, on the south side of that, 482, which is the south side of, you know, the Missouri Breaks, they're, they're given um, 40 U tags as well. So, I mean, you're talking basically 60, you know, there's 120 sheep going to get killed out of those two units between ewes and rams, and governor's tag, super tag, all those, you know, there's, there, you're definitely going to see some people. You're, you won't have it to, your, to yourself. Um, but again, Are the sheep spooky with that much pressure? Do they get pretty pretty wily? 
For sure. Yeah, they're, uh, that's one thing um, I've told guys, you know, like where I had my sheep pick, they were just sheep being sheep, which was which was amazing. You know, you're in the mountains, they're not that hunted, you, you can just hunt sheep. The, the, the rams on the Surrey Breaks, they're spooky. They've all seen their buddies shot. Um, they, they, they're definitely, uh, they're definitely smart sheep. They're not, they're not dumb. Even during the rut, you know, when they see people, they're, they're pretty much moving off. Whereas, you know, some other sheep in units that don't see the pressure are, are definitely, um, easier to get on. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so those, those are basically the two, the two Missouri breaks sheep units. And then there's one more 622, which is the East, East Missouri breaks, um, and that unit's been coming on lately too. They've killed some 195, 198, you know, big base, 17 plus inch base, really big rams in there. I have not hunted 622. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on the, on that area like some of the other areas. But um, they, they shoot some big sheep. Um, they got a lot of tags. Um, looks like in 622 this year they're going to shoot 13 rams and 50 ewes. So wow, um, that's a lot of ewes. So again, you're not going to be alone. Um, they're obviously trying to control the population. I'm not a big fan of you hunts, but uh, that's uh, that's what that's what they're doing. Brennan, I want to take just a second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their title sponsorship of this podcast, and remind the listeners that if you use the J Scott promo code, you're going to get a fifty dollar GoHunt Gear Shop gift card. And you can sign up for the Insider, use that J. Scott promo code, and get that gift card and be spending money uh, right away, spending those points uh, on that gift card. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, which, Brendan, you're a part of. And I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting uh, for their sponsorship. Remind the listeners you can go to KUIU.com. Check out all the great gear at Kuyu and everything that Kuyu has to offer. Also want to thank the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his crew at Outdoorsman's.com. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And Phonescope.com, I want to thank the guys at Phonescope. If you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, Brendan, we've talked about, you've broken down the non-resident uh, units uh, for bighorns. Uh, one question I want to, before we get into, I want to talk briefly about um, moose and goat. Um, but I want to uh, talk about the uh, Montana Super Tag. Uh, it sounds like you can buy tickets for $5 and, and get uh, some great hunts. Talk a little bit about the uh, Super Tag. So the, the Super Tag in Montana, we have one for... Bison, mountain goat, moose, elk, deer. There probably is an antelope one. I, I guess I haven't. I haven't tried to buy yeah, an antelope one. Is, um, is there an antelope one and and and, yeah. and sheep? And it's basically the um, the lottery equivalent of our governor's tag. So um, the governor's tag in Montana allows you to hunt. You, you don't have any specific. You don't have any extra time period. So you have to hunt during an open unit when everybody else is hunting with the same. Um, weapon that they're hunting. That's that's the rules for the governor's tag. The super tag is the same way. The difference is between with the governor's tag and the super tag, you can hunt any unit in the state anytime you want to. So you could bounce from 482 to 122 to 340. You can you can jump all around to whichever units you want. Um, they're five dollars a piece. Um, 
I think in most years that you sell about a hundred to one hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of worth of tags. I've known some guys that have drawn it. It's uh, it's basically your five dollar chance to win the governor's tag in Montana, which is you know, obviously the most expensive tag on the planet um, if you wanted to buy it. So it's a it's a pretty cool thing, and especially for all those all those different species um, you can hunt. Right. So the the Montana bighorn tag goes for like three hundred thousand or something like that, and you could actually get the same tag by spending five bucks on the Montana Super Tag for Bighorns, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the Montana Bighorn Governor's Tag sells between um, myself and my buddy Willie. We got it in 2013. It went for 485000 which is the most, the most expensive tag in history. Um, but it generally, since 2008, it's sold from 200 to 485000 with most of them being around, you know, between 275 and 340. Um, so it's, it's the most consistently the most expensive auction tag available. Um, wow. Well, let's um, let's dive into um, moose. Talk a little bit about moose. We don't have to spend a ton of time, but just go over moose in Montana. Yeah, so moose is basically the same system as as sheep. Um, we don't have any unlimited moose hunts um, like sheep, so it's it's they're all limited permit. Um, I, I'm far from a moose expert. Um, I will, I, you know, helped a few people kill moose. I drew one a long time ago and killed a, killed a pretty nice moose when I was in high school. Um, moose numbers are, you know, you know, Montana's just another state where you can get a shirus moose. Um, we do have some really big moose, um, especially in the southeast and up in the, in the north, or excuse me, the southwest and then in the northwest. Um, but there's a lot of different units. Um, I'll just quickly here. You know, there's, there's probably too many to go through on this, Jay. But yeah. the uh, the moose units um, there's there's a few cow tags available for non-resident, but basically 100, 310, 311, 312, 314, 315, 319, 323, 398, 399, and 415. And any of those units, a non-resident has the ability to draw an either-sex uh, either moose tag um, um, for Montana. So, um, like I said, we, there's there's almost too many of them to go through, but um, there's there's not any real sleeper like this is the absolute best tag in the state there's a lot of different um tags a lot of different habitat you have to take a look at a map but one thing i will say if uh, i would i would caution anybody is um moose require a lot of time like i said i've had some friends draw my niece has drawn i've drawn like there's really no place where you just go up and spend a day or two and and, and get a moose they're they're a time commitment there's just the density is low um you know, moose, moose is definitely a time commitment, but, uh, you know, one of the few places where you can you can draw a Shiris tag and, and uh, you know, get bonus bonus squared bonus point system. The longer you put in, the better your odds are, but uh, you could draw the first year you ever apply. How about mountain goat? Mountain goat's the same. Um, this year there are one, two, three, four, you know, three... The, the GO districts available for, for non-residents this year are 312, 313, 
329, 393, and 519. Um, Mountain goat in Montana uh, can be really good. There's there's really not a, you know, they're, they're all pretty much backpack hunts or, or horseback. Uh, you know, there's places where you can hire an outfitter or whatever, but, um, you know, there's really no easy mountain goats. I mean, there's a, the one tag is, um, in the Bridgers, which is right here by Bozeman, is, uh, you know, I would call it the easiest, um, some good goats. But, you know, again, there's really no easy mountain goat. They live at the top. Um, you, you're not going to drive up and, and even, you know, really be able to glass them. So um, Montana's mountain goat, um, they're going to, you know, again, you can you can draw on the first year you ever apply. It's a bonus point square bonus point system so you know longer you apply your better your odds um none of the odds are great but you know somebody's got to win what i have kind of quality uh, oh i was going to say i have about the worst luck you could you can imagine i've been applying for 25 years for mountain goat and i've uh, i'm over for 25 on one in four to one in ten odds so about as about as unlucky as you can get for mountain goat <laughs> well, you've drawn some other tags, so I don't yeah, know that I'd start. <laughs> yeah. I'm not complaining. I can't but preface that by by yeah. saying four mountain goat. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, quality in Montana for mountain goats. What kind of billies are we looking at? Um, the I would say the average billy killed in Montana is probably. I mean, I don't have the staff sitting in front of me of what was taken, but would probably the average billy would be around 45. I mean, a, a nine inch goat with a Five and a half to six inch base, they're really good goat. Um, you know, depending, you know, goats are one of those things. They're 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 age, you know, they're age related. The bigger the body, the better the goat. A lot of times, the hair um, is 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 what people are really looking for. Um, we do have some big goats. I mean, there's there's regularly 50 inch goats killed, um, not tons of them, but um, we have some some good goats available um, in Montana. Um, but any old huge body billies of you know, probably a really good goat, um, and there's some really good hunts. I mean, a lot of times uh, the, the the season dates from for mountain goat are are depending on the units are either September first. There's no archery only season for goat. It's they're generally from September first through I, I think this year it's November 25th or September 15th based on the unit. Um, some of them start a little bit later. Brendan, I wanted to let the listeners know I did um, check out here the Montana Super Tag. Um, the, the website address to go buy those tickets is uh, fwp.mt.gov forward slash super tag. That's fwp.mt.gov forward slash super tag. $5 gets you a chance to hunt some of those great animals. Um, Brendan, we've covered some ground there talking about the um, uh, sheep in Montana, the moose, and the goat. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you a question. I noticed that the uh, Wild Horse Island uh, there in Montana, uh, I don't know much about it, but I noticed that they have said that it's the world record was found uh, dead on the island. One of the things that I... I wrestle with myself is from what I understand that's that's an unhuntable population uh, of bighorns and I wanted to get your impression as a resident um, 
seems like as hunters we should be deeming world records as animals that we can hunt, and maybe I'm completely off base um, and not taking away from, you know, the size of the animal or the, the good things, the positive things that, you know, that um, that place brings. But just what are your thoughts on, you know, deeming that the world record and, you know, making a big deal about, uh, you know, a place where you can't even hunt. It's like saying a, you know, giant mule deer that was found on Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon National Park is the new world record or, or an elk that was, you know, found in Yellowstone as the new world record. Yeah, it's, uh, I have mixed emotions about it. So Wild Horse Island is a, is, a, is a state park that is owned by the state of Montana and it's in the middle of Flathead Lake. Um, and it's a... It's got a population of bighorn sheep on it that they use for transplants, and it's basically a feeder herd for the state of Montana to do some transplants with. Um, it is unhunted. Um, it's only 2,000 acres, so it's it's basically <clears throat> a water-surrounded game farm, and that's you know it, it's it's that's what it is. There is no hunting on it. Um, there's no predators on it. They they say there's a mountain lion or something that goes out there sometimes. Um, I know there's some bears that swim out there, but it's basically a predator-free 2,000-acre island in Flathead Lake that, um, you know, it's a state park, and people go out there. And, you know, any of these great big rams that you see photos of on Instagram or the cover of magazines or anything, most likely they're taken on Wild Horse Island. I mean, they, they um, it's pretty neat to see the genetic potential of what, um, of what, bighorns can do when they're when they're left alone um the the you know last year they found a 209 and two i mean it, it it's produced you know three of the top 10 sheep in the last three two or three years um and who knows why it, it's it's never produced giant rounds like that before but yeah they picked up a 216 dead i mean it's you know broke the world record by almost seven inches which is you know Staggering. I mean, it's just, and I actually held the head a couple weeks ago. Like the thing is unbelievable. But um, is it a wild sheep? Mm, I don't know. Um, the the difference. You know, again, it's a two thousand acre unhunted population with you know, let's say there's a predator out there or something at some point in time. Um, pretty good feed. They just kind of get left alone. <coughs> um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. Um, it, it is. You know, it's it's certainly the biggest ram to ever been scored and, and live. Um, is it something that is really interesting to me? Not really. Um, it's a, it's just a great big ram that grew in a um, you know basically a you know whether you'd call it a national park. It's it's a state park, but you know, a sanctuary is 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 really what it is. Right. Um, it's neat to see how big they got. I mean, it's a tremendous ram. It's one of the most massive sheep you, you know, well, by far the most massive ram. I mean, it, it carries its weight. It's it's unbelievable. But, um, you know, I mean, like is it any really different than, like, a big desert living in Mexico in a high-fence enclosure and then it dying and they saying that's the world record? Uh, deed to the property. The state of Montana owns it, and uh, if it was held by a private landowner, it would, it would definitely not be considered wild. Um, again, it's, it's a little bit controversial, um, but yeah, it's 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 owned by the state, and it's uh, it's a free ranging population on the, on that small island. But uh, yeah, no, it's not not a ton different. I mean, they're definitely left alone. Um, I mean, last year, you know, in in, in the north side of the breaks, I mean, a, a kid from Bozeman 
killed, you know, the, the largest hunter harvested ram ever out of a, you know, a public land unit on a tag that they draw. Like, I definitely think they should be highlighting, you know, that kind of stuff more so. But, uh, you know, it's neat to see how big those sheep get, but, you know, you just take them for what they are. They're, they're, they're you know, unhunted population of, uh, you know, on a 2,000-acre island. Yeah. Brendan, I want to finish um, and talk a little bit about what you've got going on this spring and, and uh, this summer and this fall for hunts. But one story that always cracks me up and uh, is when you, you were recruited out of Montana as a wrestler and uh, you went to Ohio State uh, and wrestled there. And I, I heard the story about your recruiting trip and who showed up to meet you. And you didn't even really probably didn't even really know who the guys were, but tell that story. It's too good of a story not to share. Yeah, when I, when I recruited, uh, and again, I finished up um, in a small school in Montana. I, I wrestled a couple years at Ohio State. Um, and when I recruited to, to Ohio State, the, the wrestling coach was uh, a great guy. His name is Russ Ellickson. And uh, when they bring in recruits, they uh, you know you, you go to this, this is kind of a special, you know, restaurant that they meet at. And, um you know, kind of, you know, kind of impress you with the university, and you know, the uh, being from Montana, I wasn't really a big follower of <laughs> of Ohio State and, and 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 what they were, you know, what they were. I I really didn't know that much about it. I wasn't a huge, uh, you know, follower of the uh, Big Ten and the Midwest stuff. But um, went out to lunch and had a, had a couple of some of the biggest dudes I've ever seen in my life eating lunch with us, and yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> they got up to go uh, when we were leaving. They got up and and uh, you know was like, hey, what's what's with these? You know, are these, these guys on the on the team or you know who who are these guys or whatever? And <laughs> who are these monsters? <laughs> who, are, who are these monsters? And, uh, and Russ, I, I could tell he was kind of deflated. And he said, he said, well, that 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 guy there, that's that's, that's Eddie. He won the Heisman this year. It was Eddie George, and uh, and, other, and and the other guy, uh, Orlando. He he's uh, the best lineman in in the, in the world uh, right now. There's three, <laughs> three in the draft, and I didn't even know who they were. It was, it was kind of funny. And in hindsight, you know, obviously now knowing both, you know, unbelievable. And, and after going to school at Ohio State, and you, you you know who all those guys are. But you know, it's pretty funny. Eddie and Eddie and Orlando, no idea who they were. Oh. And they were thinking, what what was your wrestling weight uh, then? Uh, one fifty seven in college. They're probably thinking, who's this hundred fifty seven year old, hundred fifty seven pound white boy wrestler here? And and they're you know, Orlando's got had to have been over three hundred pounds. Massive dude, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one of his arms was as big as your whole body. Yeah, huge guys. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Really nice guys and. Obviously, very successful. Um, I think both. Did of them you were, get to know them a little bit? No, no, no. They were they were leaving while I was coming. Yeah, they were. Gotcha. I was a red. Yeah, they were they were already in the league. So yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Pretty funny. Um, Pretty funny. Yeah, crazy stuff. Um, what do you have going on this spring? I assume you're probably going to chase some bears and some turkeys, and then, you know, this summer and then into fall, what are you looking at for hunts um, on the horizon? Yeah, I got a brown bear hunt. With, uh, Jason and I are going to the peninsula of brown bear hunting uh, May 9th, so both of us are hunting brown bear starting May 9th um, with Lance, actually. Um, so that should be a really cool hunt. I have not hunted the peninsula um, for brown bear. 
so it should be uh, should be pretty interesting. Um, um, and then Jason and I are both hunting uh, bonnet plume this fall, doll sheep. Um, I'm working on another doll sheep hunt. I, uh, I don't have it finalized yet, but we'll, we'll kind of see how that um, goes down. And then uh, I'm going. I'm taking Ray all to Kyrgyzstan in October. Um, awesome. Yeah, he, he wants to uh, wants to kill a Humi Argali Marco Polo, and uh, so I told him I said if you want to go, I'll go with you. So that's 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 the plan so far. Obviously, elk here in Montana, uh, Montana is really good right now, um, been been really good. So I'm I'm uh, pretty excited to spend the month of September on elk, and that's about it for right now. I'm I'm gonna get down to Texas uh, actually this weekend. I'm taking my son down to Texas to. Uh, Go turkey hunting and hopefully get his first uh, wild pig. So that's going to be fun and uh, yeah, just staying pretty busy with the tree. We got a bunch of new stuff coming out this spring. Um, so yeah, just same old stuff. Um, couple sheep hunts and yeah, should be good. Good stuff, man. That's awesome. Well, um, it's been great having you on the podcast, and I look forward to this summer. I want to do with my two doll sheep hunts that I have coming up. I want to do kind of some doll sheep hunt podcasts and i know you've been on several of those hunts so i want to talk to you about gear and preparation and some of the different stuff so you're one of the guys that i want to have on to talk about that so we'll we'll do that after my ghouls turkey hunts here um and as i prepare uh in these summer months coming for that first hunt there in northwest territories in july for doll sheep so um, have fun with Lance. I won't talk to you until after you get back. Tell him hello and tell him I'll see him in August. I'm excited about that Chugach tag that I drew for Doll Sheep. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun time of year, kind of anticipating all the stuff going on this summer and this fall. It's, it's fun to look forward towards that. Yeah, it was cool to see that you drew that permit. I, I hunted uh, that the same year you have. I hunted it during the late archery hunting in 2012 and there's some tremendous sheep it's some big rugged country you're you're going to see kind of the two different spectrums of doll sheep hunting for sure you're going to see you know the northwest territories is really open very cool area you're going to and then to go to the chugach which i've done the exact same you know, i went i went directly from northwest territories to the chugach uh in in 2015 as well and uh yeah it, you're in for a treat not many people get to do that and i can't wait to see what you turn up and in uh, in Peter's Creek, that's going to be that's going to be awesome. Right on, buddy. Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing with us. And uh, want to encourage the listeners make sure to follow Kuyu Ultralight Hunting on Instagram. There's some great stuff there. Uh, go to Kuyu.com to find out about the best ultralight hunting gear made uh, in the world. And uh, always thanks for your support at Kuyu. And, uh, Brendan, thanks for uh, sharing here with us, and we'll talk to you uh, down the road here. All right, Jay. Always a pleasure to be on. Thanks again, and uh, always thanks for your support. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. Take care. God bless. Yep.